I cut off that applause. I apologize. <laughs> and you will turn to James chapter 1, verse 12. And then also 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. If you don't have your Bible, you can read it up there on the board. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 12 said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Everybody say crown of life. Crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, it says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Everybody say corruptible crown. We're not going to do this all day, but I feel like that was important. But we, an incorruptible crown. So today, for just a few minutes, I would like to talk to you on this title, The Crown. The Crown. So crowns are something that are easily understood in society. When we see a crown, we automatically associate it with something royal. And a crown is a traditional form of head adornment that's worn by monarchs, and it's a symbol of their power, dignity, and often by extension, a symbol of the monarch's government and the items endorsed by it. And so I have a, a slide here that shows a few of the different crowns that we have maybe seen throughout history. The first one there, the large one, is the imperial state crown. And it's one of the crown jewels of the United Kingdom. It symbolizes the sovereignty of the monarch, and it's adorned with over 2,900 precious stones. A lot of stones including the Cullinan Diamond, the St. Edward Sapphire, the Stuart Sapphire, and the Black Prince's Ruby, if that means anything to you. So it sounds really impressive. And then the crown on the top right that you see there is the Imperial Crown of Russia. And it's known as the Great Imperial Crown, and it was used since 1762, and it was last used when Nicholas II was coronated for over 200 years of Russian royalty. And then the bottom one you might recognize, I kind of cut it off, but you still might recognize it, and that is the Popal Tiara. So uh, it's a crown that's worn by the Pope of the Catholic Church, and from the 8th century all the way through 1963, this crown was worn by the Pope, and it was a symbol of just royalty for the, for the, for the office of the Pope. And you know, when you look at these crowns, you don't doubt that the person that wore them was probably important, right? Maybe you do. Maybe somebody just has that kind of money, and they, they, put, it into a, they put it into a crown, but... Crowns represent royalty, and it's been that way for thousands of years. And the Bible also talks a lot about a crown. Sometimes it talks about literal crowns, like these that you see here. Sometimes it's referring to metaphorical spiritual crowns. Or sometimes it's talking about like a future reward for our efforts in this life. But the, con the concept of a crown and kingship is found throughout the Bible. And we first see it in 1 Samuel as Saul was anointed king of Israel. And interestingly enough, from the moment that Saul was anointed king... All the way through the rest of the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is written either about a king or a prophet who's trying to get a king to do the right thing, just the whole rest of the way. And so when Israel requested to be led by a king rather than by God, it started a long run of ruling monarchs in the nation of Israel and eventually Judah. There are multiple books in the Old Testament that talk about the different leaders of the nation of Israel, but without a question, the three most popular kings who wore the crown in the Old Testament are the first three. And uh, Saul was the first king, and he was, he was uh, anointed king of Israel. He eventually gave way to King David. And then the last of these three kings, or the big three, as I like to call them around the house, was King Solomon. Um, and he was the last king of the united kingdom of Israel. And so these three kings, they're very well studied 
if you stick around church long enough, you are going to hear about Saul, David, and Solomon. You're going to hear about them a lot. In fact, a while back when we were picking out youth curriculum, like the youth team doesn't have real strong opinions about youth curriculum usually. It's just, you know, whatever God lays on your heart, we'll, we'll go with it. Except Rachel had a very strong aversion to me doing anything with King David. She was like, we have talked about that guy way too much. I don't want to hear anything else about King David. Because they are very well studied. They've made movies about these three guys. They've probably been in 10,000 messages. No doubt across the world somebody's preaching about one of those three kings right now. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to look very quickly at these three kings. (laughs) Because... You can't think about a crown and about Israel and about the nation and all of this without looking very quickly at these three kings. And we're going to start with my guy, Saul. And so Saul was a first-generation king, and he gets a really bad rap in the Bible, probably rightfully so. But early on, when he was anointed king, he had to start a kingship from nothing. Like, it wasn't like, hey, here's the manual on how to be a king. Get out there and just follow this, and you're going to do great. Now, he had to start the kingship from absolute zero. So I want you guys to think about your own career. Is that what we sound like when we're down there? (laughs) I see how that works. It's okay. Um, So I want you to think about this. Has anybody in your career or in your ministry ever started something from absolute zero? Show of hands. You had to start a new position. You had to start, maybe you started a church. Maybe you started a ministry where there wasn't a ministry before. It's really hard. I mean, you have to start a systems form. You've got to get people to believe that what you're doing actually matters. You get, it's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. And so Saul was the first king, and he created the kingship essentially from nothing. Things like this. Where's the palace going to be built? Who's going to build it? Who's going to govern? Uh, what's governing going to look like? Who's going to lead the army? Who's going to oversee agriculture? That's a lot. There's a lot that goes into this. And Saul had to create so much as the first king, and I just, I don't know why, but I always just think of like all the tech companies that started in a a garage, right, like Apple or something, they started in a garage, and you know, now they're these multi-billion dollar companies. So like Saul started in a tent in the desert, and then he starts a kingship from nowhere. I don't know, sounded like a challenge. Use it if, yeah, thank you, use it if it works. So despite all that Saul had established, unfortunately his story ends poorly. He fought feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, and rather than trust God with those emotions, he became more focused on his position than on what God had for him. And his early success gave way to a bitter spirit, and we last see Saul dying in a battle that he shouldn't have even been fighting. And in comes David, my guy that we talk too much about. Uh, David was a shepherd who was anointed to be king when Saul was still alive, and he was Saul is still wearing the crown, and David has been anointed to be king, so you can imagine the challenge that comes with that. He was a warrior. He was a psalmist, and when you read the Old Testament, the thing that jumps out to me the most about David is this guy was clearly very talented. He's leading a nation. Uh, People are following him, and just like on the side, he's writing songs. He's like a singer-songwriter on the side. He's just doing everything, and everything that David, he he was a shepherd. Apparently, he killed lions and bears. He was a hunter. What couldn't this guy do? And God truly loved him. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. And uh, he was early on promised to be the next king of Israel. And when David came and took the throne, he had to do a lot of restructuring. 
that word restructuring. There's a lot in that. He used the word and promises of God to make decisions, and, and it led to more input and interaction from God than any other king. But has anybody ever been in this position before? You take over a job, you take over a ministry, maybe it's been vacant for a while before you got there, and now you find yourself restructuring. Show of hands, anybody ever been there? You're trying to do your job while also correcting for somebody who didn't do their job, right? And it can get a little bit hard. So David built his own legacy while never giving away to the challenges of the generation behind him. So David's talent and passion as a leader drove him in the kingdom of Israel to great, great things. Talent and enthusiasm are amazing because when they're used for the kingdom, they can push you towards great kingdom things. However, when talent and enthusiasm... (laughs) are no longer focused on the kingdom and they get focused on other things, they can also drive you far from the kingdom as well. And we see David's, David's kingship ends mired in controversy because he took his eyes off of what God had called him to do. And with this struggle, his, his legacy is tainted and he passes on a little bit of a mess to his son. And it's the last king we're going to talk about, and that's King Solomon. And Solomon was the last king of the united kingdom of Israel. He was wise, he was generationally blessed, and early in his kingship, he accomplished great things, greater than any of the kings before him. In fact, Jesus himself would refer to Solomon as a man with great glory surrounding him. So that's, that's high praise, you have glory surrounding you. And he took over the position of his father David. He was the third generation king, and as Saul had established the kingdom and, and David had restructured it and made it better, Solomon took it to even new heights. He took it really far. However, one thing that he ran into is he always was in the unenviable position of leading people who had high expectations of him. So has anybody ever taken over a position at work or in ministry uh, for somebody who was beloved before you? Anybody? I did that one time. (laughs) I did that one time and it it was pretty awkward. So I started a new job. I walk in there. I have no idea like where anything is, where the cafeteria is, because I always find that first in a new job. <laughs> Looking for the cafeteria. I'm stressed the whole time. I parked my car in the wrong spot. Um, I get up to my desk, and one of the people who I was going to be supervising comes up, and is like, "Oh, you're the new, you're the new supervisor." I'm like, yeah. Hey, how are you? You know where the cafeteria is, right? I'm like, real, real entry level stuff. And uh, she's like, oh, you're taking over for this person. We loved her. She was amazing. She did such a good job. We were so sad when she left. And I was like, oh, man, that's, yeah, she sounds great. And then she was just like, okay, and then just walked away. Like nothing, <laughs> nothing positive. So Solomon had to push past, right? King Saul established everything. David was a man after God's own heart, so talented, and Solomon had high expectations of him. And you see that early on, his, his, his kingship goes really well. He's pushing the borders further than they've ever gone. He's building the, he's building the temple. However, uh, he wrote the book of Proverbs. Any Bible quizzers? Yeah, my guy Solomon wrote that, most of it. <laughs> he's credited for writing this, this wise man doing great things. However, we see that Solomon grows weary and well-doing towards the end of his kingship. And he didn't finish the work as strong as it started. And as a result, all of that glory, rather than it going back up to God, starts to fade. And we see that the nation of Israel becomes fractured and is never again as great as it was before. 
So Saul, David, and Solomon. There we go. Quick backstory for you guys in case you were, in case you were missing that. Uh, they were all different individuals. They all had different personalities. They all had different circumstances. But they were all called by God and anointed to be kings. And they all accomplished great things for the kingdom early in their kingship. So we can look at those three kings of the Old Testament and we can find a lot of similarities between their life and our lives. Seems crazy, right? You're like, I'm not a king. (laughs) I drive an old Ford truck and I'm just happy to have made it here alive. I am definitely not like King David and Solomon and all of these guys, but it's, it's actually true because if you look in the Old Testament, kings had authority and autonomy to do basically what they felt like they needed to do. And we have that same autonomy today in this country. Thank God for that. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible tells us a little bit about how we are to look at these kings. It says, now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Everybody say, that's me. So we can look at the physical life of these kings in the Old Testament, and we can draw parallels to our spiritual life here today. And Jesus spent much of his time talking about the kingdom. However, think about this. I just... I just droned for like 20 minutes telling you guys about those three kings. The Israeli history was all about kingship. Those guys were like heroes, and they were taught to their children, to the children's children. Don't be like Saul. Be like David, but not like all the way. Be like Solomon, but don't do this stuff, right? Like that was taught to these people forever. And so Jesus is now on the scene, and guess what the expectation was of Jesus? We need you to be a king like those guys were. Like that's what we're looking for. And so when Jesus steps on the scene, he starts talking about this eternal kingdom and about this spiritual kingdom and they're like great let's just pick up a sword and let's go take out some romans right that was like the whole mindset and he had to keep teaching over and over and over about this spiritual kingdom so in luke chapter 17 verse 23 21 we see one of these instances and it says and when he was demanded of the pharisees and it was demanded of the pharisees when the kingdom of god should come He, Jesus, answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For those of you who don't use lo, like the kingdom will be over there, or the kingdom will be over there. But he said, The kingdom of God is within you. Everybody say, Within me. And Peter takes it a step further. So Jesus is telling everybody that the kingdom is going to be within you. And Peter takes it a step further in in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, a verse that many of us are familiar with. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of this verbiage in the New Testament is pointing to this. If you're here today, even if you don't feel like it, you are royalty in the kingdom of God, in this spiritual, everlasting kingdom that never ends. But you don't really look like it, I'm not going to lie. So we're going to have to help you out. Can you, can you guys help me out with that? All right. These guys are going to help me. Literally said all that just to get to this point right here. All right, guys. It's a youth-led service. Just go with it. So these guys are going to pass out a crown to you. you You don't have to wear it, but I wish you would. (laughs) I instructed them, if they don't want it, just drop it in their lap. So, I have a massive head. 
probably the largest head in here, and it still fits me, so go ahead. Burger King was out of crowns. <laughs> oh, man. All right, now, now I feel a little bit more like David and Solomon and Saul. Now we're getting there. I didn't, I didn't count on how distracting it was going to be for me, actually. <laughs> Sounded great. Sounded great. So as you put that crown on, I want you to start thinking of yourself as royalty. You are. You are a, you are a chosen generation. You are a king or a queen called to rule in the kingdom of God. Do we have enough for everybody? I think we have enough. Amazon for the win. All right. So the kings, here's the reality, as you guys are, as you guys are putting, I'm not going to look at you, as the, here's the reality. You are called to govern the kingdom of God, and while it may not be a physical kingdom, it is the keys to the spiritual kingdom of this generation that we are responsible for. The reality is this, the kings and prophets of the Old Testament that we talked about, the disciples of Jesus, who we heard from. The apostles of the first century, the martyrs of the dark ages, the church planters of the 1900s, I'm just going to be blunt, they're all dead. There's nobody left here. They're not walking through that door today, and if they do, it's going to get even weirder than it already is, right? The kingdom of heaven for this and future generations is in our hands. It's in your hands. It's in my hands. It's going to go as far as we take it, and uh, that is a responsibility that we have to take very, very seriously, even if it's hard to take me serious wearing this. <laughs> we aren't all Saul's. We're not all starting something from nothing. We're not all David's filled with tons of talent. We're not all Solomon's called to, to occupy these lofty positions filled with glory. But you know what we are called to do? We're called to start Bible studies. We're, we're called to start P7 clubs. We're called to establish ministries that, here's a, here's a big idea, that has God at the center of the ministry, right? We're called to give of our finances. We're called to live a life of purpose for the kingdom. And God has entrusted us with that today. And the only thing that really is going to stand between us and the kingdom of God growing is ourselves and our recognition of what we're supposed to do. The one thing that the three kings of the Old Testament had in common was their early success and passion for the kingdom of Israel. However, you know, like when the crown was new, there was a lot of focus. There was a lot of passion. But all three of those kings, without exception, they faded. They faded in kingdom effectiveness the longer they wore the crown. Without fell, all of them. Yeah, we're going to do great. Let's build a kingdom. Let's take everything that God has promised us. Let's build a temple. But all three of them faded as they wore the crown longer and longer. And that's really, that's really unfortunate because what happened was the crown became their glory, not the God who gave them the crown. I mean, we're quick to judge them. Like we can, we can preach about how bad they were and how bad they did, but are we any different today? So whether we're a first-generation Christian like Saul, we have no family to guide us. If you're here and you're like, I am one of one, hey, that's awesome. You're building something. You're starting something. You're starting a legacy in the kingdom of God. Crown is just as good for you. We're, we're proud of you. 
And you know, some of us are more like David. From a young age, right? From a young age, you were called and anointed to do ministry for the kingdom. You knew it. It's all you've known your whole life is I am going to do ministry for the kingdom of God. More is written about the youth of David than anybody else in the Bible. Because as a young person, he gave his life to God and it manifested himself later on. And if that's your calling, that's awesome. That's awesome. Start wearing the crown now. Don't wait until you're in your 20s or in your 30s or in your 40s to do the things that God has called you to do. Or maybe you're here and you're a little more like Solomon, right? You're third generation apostolic, right? You wake up, do the hair, put on the suit. It's Sunday. We're going to church. Even if I don't want to go to church, my parents are going to take me to church, right? If I'm not there, I'm going to get 17 phone calls. Why weren't you at church? You are a, you are royalty in your blood whether you like it or not, and you're here. And you, you're, you feel like the only thing you can really do is try to take the kingdom further than it already is. And sometimes that can be overwhelming, but it's still the calling that God has put on you. And so while those three kings wore a physical crown, we're here and we're called to wear a spiritual crown. And it's something that we have to take very, very serious. And you know what? Here's the crazy thing. I apologize. It's going a little under. A little under the weather, so I'm drinking a lot. Here's the, uh, here's the crazy thing. The longer we live for God and the longer we walk this way, the more impressive and elaborate our crowns actually can become. So crowns weren't by some abstract design. They actually meant something. Each jewel, each design, I'm going to take this off, but you guys keep yours on because they look awesome. Each, <laughs> each jewel, each design, right, each little cardboard cutout, it meant something to that crown when it was on there. A battle, a victory, right? Maybe a loss that scarred them, and it, it became a story. The crown became a history lesson and a story for the person who was wearing it. And in our minds, we can subconsciously start to build ourselves up and keep track of our accomplishments, just like an ancient king. We're really not that different. We're, okay, we're a lot different, but in this way, we're not, in this way, we're not that different, right? And so like, let's look at this crown, for example. Okay, you guys are going to have to walk with me. I'm talking about like a metaphorical spiritual crown, but I'm going to use this as the example. I couldn't fig figure out any way to transition that better than just saying it. So, you know, like imagine this crown, right? I've been living for God my entire life. I kind of get Solomon's, Solomon's struggle. I think if I, if I woke up and I didn't go to church, it just wasn't an option. Like my parents would have taken me. My grandparents would have taken me. I, I've lived this. I'm 36. I have been in church for 36 years. Like, and if I tried to leave tomorrow, I'm confident people would just pull me back and just, just sit there until you get your mind right, and then you'll be fine. Like, that's just the way it is. So this crown represents that, right? I've, I've been here a minute. And you know what? As a young person, there were things that I wanted to do that I couldn't do while wearing this crown. Couldn't do it. So I, I got some notches on here for that, right? There's some, some events I wanted to take part in, maybe some colleges I wanted to attend, maybe some... Uh, I like to convince myself that I could have played sports at some level, but now I'm pretty sure that wasn't the case, right? Some things that I gave up, some things that I gave up, right? And I wear that on this crown. And if you ask me, I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you I went to a private Christian school that didn't have a sports team. I'll let you know real quick. That's why. That's why. Not because I'm unathletic. That's why I did not go that way. You know what else is on this crown? How about all these times I Bible quizzed? I Bible quizzed for like five years. Oh, it's terrible. I was like the worst quizzer, man. I didn't know, ver I couldn't answer questions. I didn't know verses. My family, again, talk about Solomon, had this thing that if you start Bible quizzing, you are going to finish it. And so I made this, 
foolish decision to start a few years, and then I had to finish. I wear those on that crown. Come to quiz practice sometime. I'll tell you all about it. What else is on this crown? You know, how about this, guys? I don't know if you know this, but in 2017, I was named Youth Pastor of the Year. <laughs> Thank you. I put that one right on the front, right out here in front. I make sure everybody knows that. People don't even know me. They know that about me. Uh, uh, I have a minister's license. I renew it. I have a card in my wallet. I put that out here in front, too. <laughs> my minister is right out here in front. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Just hang on. Come back next week. There is. I wear this crown, and I have a lot of things to show for it. And you know what? Some of it, I kind of joke about, but some of it, man, if you look at, like, this side over here, these are some battles won personally that nobody really knows about. You know, some deep offenses, some things that people maybe did or said in church that, uh, man, it was tough. I kind of wanted to just, like, throw the crown at their face, right? But no, I didn't. I stayed. I persevered. I was a Christian through that, mostly. And I have... <laughs> I have the, the battle marks here to prove it, right here on the side of this crown. I am an overcomer through Jesus, and he was patient. I put that on there. And, you know, how about this one on this side right here, right? Maybe, maybe this is where I had to deal with some really heavy personal loss, right? And we, there's some people in here that have really had to deal with some tough things in their life, some, some family members maybe who, who, who passed away a little bit younger than they should have, or, or maybe some things that some sickness and some illness that God put on us, and it doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm supposed to be kingdom-minded, but th this is heavy, and I'm going to make sure that that gets on this crown because that tells the story of the things that God has brought me through, and that's not a bad thing, but that's on there. And you know what? We can wear these crowns, and the reality is that these are just cardboard crowns, but if we could see our spiritual crowns right now sitting on everybody's head, the battles won, the loss, the pain, sacrifice, things that people don't even know about, if we could see in the spiritual realm and we could see the crown, it would be impressive. Probably be surprising whose who's was biggest, right? Probably, there would probably be some things that would really surprise us if we could see the spiritual crowns, you know, that we wore. However, we've got to be really careful, right? Because we've worked hard for these. I'm going to put this back on. <laughs> this, is like the, this is like the furthest out it goes, and it still just fits on the back of my head. We've worked hard for these. Uh, this, is my, my, this represents my whole spiritual life right here. But if we aren't careful, we can come in here and we can have our crowns on. But we'll forget that the glory doesn't come from the crown. The glory comes from the one who gave us, right? Who gave us the crown. And it doesn't matter if we've walked this way for 50 years or five minutes. If you're here and you have a crown and you're like, I don't even know what's happening right now. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. The glory that this world needs to see will always be our relationship with the one who gave us the crown. And guess what? Almost never does the world even need to see our accomplishments for what we've done. It really doesn't do anything for, for them when they're thinking about the one who gave it to us. And we've probably been to conferences, been to churches, right, where you walk in and you can see there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of crown wearing going on. Not here. Not here. But you can walk in. There's crowns. We got our crown on, right? I've been, been in ministry for 97 years, right? <laughs> Youth pastor of the year, seven years in a row, not just one time, right? You can, there's some, there's some real crowns when you walk into places sometimes and, and you see the crowns, but it seems like the focus maybe is on the wrong thing because then the worship service starts 
And then you don't feel the movement of God like we felt this morning. Or, or then the altar call comes, and, and you just don't see people responding to God in that way. And you think, what's going on? And, and the reality is, is maybe some people have started glorifying their own crowns more than they've glorified God. And today I believe with all of my heart, with everything that's in me, that God is calling refuge to a high place in him. I really do. I'm not local from here, guys. I'm not, I still get lost when I go downtown. I still have to use GPS sometimes if I leave the city of Liberty. Like I, I, I'm not a native son to the Midwest. But I, I'm here, and I believe with all of my heart that God is going to elevate this church and this group of people to do great things in the kingdom. He's going to reach the Kansas City area through each and every one of you. And I feel like it's so important, and I just wanted to bring this really short, really simple thought to us today, that when he does that, it will never stop. Our church will never stop being what God has called it to be until the day we stop glorifying him and we start glorifying ourselves. And at that point, we're good, right? That's it. That's it. God can't move anymore when we start glorifying our own accomplishments and our own greatness and our own ministries and our own callings and all, all the things that we instead of the one who gave us these crowns. And that is, that is our challenge. And if you're a guest here today, I have a confession from this church. I know anytime you're like, this guy's speaking for the whole church, that could be scary. But we can't save you. We can't forgive your sins. We can't disperse the Holy Spirit to you. We have plans. We have schedules. We have administration. We have a burden for you. But nobody in this room can save anybody else. That's just the reality of it. And in fact, the book of Revelations tells us a little bit about a scenario that's similar to this. And uh, it, it tells us about the throne room of God in Revelations chapter 4. And if you've read the book of Revelations, it is very heavy on symbolism. So I'm going to do my very best to unpack it in my view. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. I don't think I'm wrong, though. And in the throne room of God, it tells us that uh, John, uh, let me back up. John is getting this revelation. He's, he's taken into the throne room of God, and he's standing in the throne room of God, and he's seeing this glorious throne room. And in this throne room, he sees 24 elders. And for those, elders are just leaders of the church, right? He, he sees 24 people, 24 elders. And the Bible tells us that these 24 elders are in the throne room of God, wearing golden crowns, they're dressed in white, and they're sitting on a throne. It's this awesome picture. And I don't know what the uh, requirements are to be one of those elders, but I mean, there's only 24 of them, so I'm going to guess that they're pretty high. And uh, I imagine that their righteousness and their kingdom work is just so much better than mine. You know, I imagine they gave more of themselves than I have. I imagine they kept themselves more separate from the world than I have. I imagine these guys are like elite spiritual individuals because they are literally sitting in the throne room of God. And John is seeing all of this. And I'm actually coming to a close. Somebody wants to come up here. And John is seeing all of this. And he's looking at it. And he sees these elders and these golden crowns. And Revelation chapter 4 verses 9 through 11 tells us what happens with these elders. It says, whenever the living creatures give God glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and, 
and they lay their crowns down before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will were all things created. And these 24 elders, you know, they're just, what I imagine to just be these spiritual gurus who are up there, and they're in the presence, they're in the throne room of God. It sounds like just such an amazing sight. And I imagine them to be super righteous, so don't take that from me, because I think they are. I think they're awesome people. And they lay down their thrones, their, their crowns at the throne, and, and it, John's seeing all this, and it just sounds amazing. However, if you keep going a few verses down in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it tells us about this scroll that appears in the throne room. And the semblance of the scroll is important because the scroll is representative of judgment and salvation for all of humanity. And this scroll appears. Throne room of God. Elders are casting their crowns. And look what Revelations chapter 5 tells us happens after, after this scroll appears. It says, And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. So look, there's 24 elders. These guys are righteous. They're sitting there. There's angels clearly because they're talking. John the revelator's in there. He's in, he's in this vision. He's seeing it. And nobody could open the scroll. Nobody was worthy to open the scroll. And, and the Bible goes on to say that John wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. Imagine this moment, right? Throne room of God. John's in there. There's angels. Everything's around. And John is literally weeping in the presence of all of this. Because nobody is worthy to open the scroll. And then thankfully the next verse tells us that one of the elders said to him. They grabbed John and they said, hey, don't weep. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and to open the seven seals. And you know what? Jesus is the one today who is worthy to receive all of the glory and all of the honor. He's the one who's able to judge all of humanity. He's the one who is able to take us from where we are and give us a crown of glory and change our life and set us up in heavenly places with him. That's who is worthy of all of the praise, and that's who is there. But you know what? There was a profound revelation when I read through this, and I had to read it like seven times because it can be confusing, and you can stand. And this was the thing that really struck out to me and the thing that I wanted to leave with you all this morning is that when this happened, you know, this, this throne room, the elders have, have cast their crowns down. They've cast their crowns down, and, and now there's nobody that's able to open the scroll, and and, and John's weeping, and an elder grabs him and says, hey, look, you know, the lion of the tribe of Jews. You know, who, you know who it was that comforted John who was seeing all of this? It wasn't an angel. It was an elder. An elder was the one who took John and said, hey, don't weep. Hey, hey, it's okay. It's all right. Don't weep. And you know what? It, it, struck, a, it struck a chord with me. 
Because right now, I feel like outside in the world right now, in society, and y'all just went through Thanksgiving, you talked about all the political stuff. Man, the world is in upheaval mess right now. It is in a really crazy place. And there are people who are out there and they are weeping bitterly. Politicians have disappointed them. Religions have disappointed them. And they're saying, who can come into this mess? Who can come into my life with all of my mistakes, with all of my sin, with all of my failure? Who is worthy to step into my life and help me? And you know what? The elder was just a person who took off his crown, threw it at the feet of God, and then he was able to bring that revelation to somebody who was weeping after he took off his crown, after he took off his position, after he took off his title, after he took off his suffering and all the things that he worked for his entire life to build up on his crown, after he decided to say, you know what, this is nothing. Jesus died on a cross to forgive my sins, to give me salvation, this is nothing. I don't even wanna have this anymore. And after the elder did that, then he was able to step to the weeping individual and say, hey, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's the one who can save you. He's the one who can take you out of this mess and he can deliver you and he can give you eternal life and he can give you a crown of glory. And you know what, Refuge Church today, if you're a guest and you're here and you are wearing that crown, I have something for you. The one who can give you eternal life and an eternal crown is here this morning. And you can come to this altar and you can have your life changed forever. And you know what? You can come. Those of you who maybe aren't here for your first time and you're saying, you know what? I've kind of gotten my alignment a little bit mixed up. I've been focused more on my crown than I have on what God would want me to do in the kingdom. God wants to meet with some people this morning and he wants to realign you and he wants to take you higher and he wants to pour his glory out on you even more. If you can find a place to pray for just a few minutes this morning, I believe God wants to meet with us.